2: Laboratory, sponsored by m Bank.
1: A Victory Monday live episode of the Casey Laboratory. Thank you so much for joining this fine program, which is presented by M-Prize Bank. Find a bank that doesn't flag you for holding. In fact, they'll reward you for it. Just don't tell the refs. Earn 1.75% annual percentage yield on your monthly balance with a high interest checking account. At Emprise Bank, visit emprisebank.com. Member F D I C. And uh it's fun to be talking under better circumstances about both Emprise and this football team. My dear pals first spot him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. What is up?
3: Listen, if we just
1: start. Our
3: season again, as of yesterday, the Chiefs are once again the undefeated
1: Kansas City. <laughs> no,
3: this is fantastic. You know, this, this feels good. Yes, it wasn't the highest level of competition, but boy, I'll tell you what, that first half of this game, I think we were all probably sweating a little bit. It was a lot closer than we wanted this game to be. I think everybody was a lot more nervous than they should be for a Super Bowl hopeful team. So it was good to see the Chiefs continue to look great on one side of the ball as we cruise to a nice victory. Craig. You look a little more nervous. You look a little, you know, you look like you got something you want to get off your chest. So go ahead.
2: Man, I'm the one who breaks down the defense. So y'all are having fun over here getting to write about awesome (laughs) offensive game planning and how dominant the offensive line was and how perfect Patrick Mahomes is. And I'm over here trying to look for literally any silver (laughs) lining on one side of the ball. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little nervous here. A little nervous. Can you at least find a bronze lining? Uh no.
3: <laughs> At least it gets easier this upcoming week as we move on from facing the Philadelphia Eagles to the Buffalo. Yikes.
2: Hill. Yikes.
1: It's fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. And we'll play we'll have plenty of time to preview that later in the week. Uh that'll be, be interesting Chiefs. to see if we all predict the Chiefs win, actually. Uh mm-hmm. but we'll we'll get to that down the road, and Craig, we'll talk about the defense later, but I feel like we can't talk about something so putrid right off the top of the show. We got to have some fun here. Jesus. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Do something, and maybe we'll speak in different terms. But you know what? Patrick Mahomes, I think he deserves to lead this show because, yes, he threw an interception. I know that. He had the quietest five-touchdown performance I've ever seen in my life. That man was dialed in. He was executing at an uber high level. And I will just say this, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Maddie. But the thing I really like is we talked about this on the KCSN post game show. You know, Patrick Mahomes saying that they will get it corrected. They will get things corrected. He will get things corrected. He led from the front this week. He was exceptional. He made small adjustments. He was as dialed in as we've seen him all season. And he made some outstanding throws all over the field, exceptional decision making. He's leading from the front. I love that about him. And it led to a five-touchdown performance in an exceptional game. And this man, truth be told, he's largely, he's on fire. This man has had a really good start to the season, even though I think one of his worst games is sprinkled in there too at the same time.
3: He played nearly flawless. I think you can nitpick the interception. It really does look like a bad decision, you know, when you just watch it happen. However, I've maintained this. I tweeted it out. I said it on the postgame show, I really am not sure where he was trying to throw that ball. Even if it was the Travis Kelsey and he got hit, then okay, it's a bad choice. But outside that play, he was perfect almost the entire game. Everything was working for him. There was a couple of miscommunications where the ball fell incomplete, but not that many. There was, what, six incompletions on the day? You can't really ask for a whole lot more than what he was able to pull off in this game. And I think it looks even better when you consider this was, I think, the second worst game the offensive tackles like combined played. I think outside of that first game against the Cleveland Browns, the offensive line struggled a little bit to handle Philadelphia's defensive ends, and that pressure didn't matter. He was navigating the pocket well, he was scrambling when he needed to scramble, and then when plays broke down, he wasn't trying to force passes on the move. He was taking the scrambles. They were there. If somebody was open, he was dumping it off. I really think that this is one of the better just games he's played from an execution standpoint. Yeah, you're not going to fill out an entire five-minute highlight video of the throws that he made. There's some good ones, but it's not going to be as long as some other games. But just executing play after play, this might be right there near the top of his entire catalog.
2: Man, I don't know what you're talking about. He had five touchdowns from about five different release angles, including (laughs) underhanded twice. That picture is amazing. (laughs) I mean... It's he took what he get. He took what he got. The defense gave him a lot of underneath stuff. He adjusted and was able to take that stuff underneath. When the defense adjusted again, he was able to hit some of those boundary fades to Tyree kill down the sideline, just electric play. That's going to make defenses as if they are, didn't already know that they needed to keep a safety shaded all the way over the top of Tyree kill. Hey, guess what? They're still good. It's still going to happen. I mean, the longest pass that he threw, the longest completion that he had was a 44-yard touchdown off his back foot just into space because Tyreek Hill was running into space late in the game with the Eagles pressing, trying to get a stop. I mean, it was just really efficient, really good. I, I don't feel like they really got themselves into some bad situations that they needed to claw themselves out of. couple penalties, but by and large, I was actually fairly impressed by the play calling. I was fairly impressed by the way that Mahomes played. I just felt like everything was clicking. It just didn't have like the giant shot plays that we typically see out of this Chiefs offense once or twice a game. Those didn't seem to be there in the same prevalence or even the the attempts for those giant shot plays in the same prevalence that we've seen in the past. It seemed a little more metered. And honestly, if if that's the way the offense is going to look when they're metered, let's do that some more.
1: There's a lot of restraint. I thought from mm-hmm. Mahomes the way he was Definitely. handling that game, you know, I think, you know, he made a lot of really good decisions and I'll be honest. I don't think the chiefs opened the playbook up too much. I know they threw uh, some trick plays in there and stuff. And that's really, you know, some of the stuff I think they threw out there is to help set stuff up for Buffalo, because that's very often when you know, you're going to win, you're out, you know, you're outmatching opponent. You might have a little bit more diversity. You might show some things, make teams prepare specifically the Buffalo bills. Mm-hmm prepare a little bit for some of the stuff that they're going to introduce. But honestly, I think this game, speaking of Buffalo, I think this game in a lot of ways reminded me a little bit of what we saw when the Chiefs played the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo during the regular season last year where the box box was light. The Chiefs were invited to run the football. They found a lot of success running the football. It kind of proved to be a little bit of fool's gold last year. I don't think it was fool's gold as much this year. I think that interior offensive line had an outstanding day. Uh, and we talked about it, you know, in the game preview, this was a game where, um, you know, this was the biggest test probably for this interior offensive line, two rookies, Joe Tooney, Joe Tooney being there, obviously helps those two interior rookies a lot as well, but man, you gotta be thrilled from what you saw uh, with what you saw from those three Maddie.
3: Absolutely. You can go out there and maybe highlight one to two really big impactful plays by the Eagles interior defensive line. One of them, I believe, was actually called back on a penalty. So the Javon Hargrave, was that the sack? Yeah, that sack didn't even count. It was called back on a penalty. It's like this interior offensive line was dominant. They weren't just doing their job in pass protection. They weren't just giving Mahomes a pocket to step up into. Yes, they were doing that, especially because the tackles weren't having their best day. They were giving him space to move. But when you go look at this run game, those guys were out there. They were proving a point. And this shifts over to the tackles as well. But when they wanted to run the ball, they were being aggressive. They were being mean. They were being physical. And they were kind of throwing this Eagles front seven around. I don't care if you're running into a light box. When you're throwing Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, Like if you're throwing guys like that around, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like That means something. And it still disappoints me. I think we'll probably get more of this when we talk about Clyde. I am very sad that Chiefs are still running such a small amount of gap or man running schemes. It is such a low amount. It's lower than it's ever been. They brought in all these offensive linemen to be super physical, and they're running the least amount of gap stuff they have under Andy Reid. But when they do, it does really work. Getting those pulling guards, getting the pulling tackles even, it works when they allow these guys to double team and work up to the second level. like It looks really good, but you saw them getting physical on outside zone. Outside zone doesn't always have to be finesse. It doesn't have to be the Eric Fisher getting out to the second level and running 13 yards downfield to make a block. You can have some of these interior guys moving the defensive line around, taking defensive linemen to the linebackers. Like this is just a game that if you like offensive line play, you have to love this. You have to love everything about it because they were dominant from the start to the end.
1: We talked a little bit about, you know, you know, restraint and and i think that might apply you know as this chiefs team builds their their run scheme kind of as the season progresses too you know i think they're building i think they're slowly building towards some stuff and i think you kind of saw that a little bit this week too i don't think that they were in their bag all that much they ran the same slant flat rpo 7000 times this game you know there's there was a little bit of just basic you know basicness to it. I mean that you know they popped the they popped that slant RPO a lot back in the day. They hadn't really you know utilized it the exact same amount as they have. They were heavy on it this week. A lot of twelve personnel. I think they actually really mixed their personnel groupings up a lot this week compared. Like especially early on, they introduced like five or six different you know personnel groupings. You know mm-hmm. earlier you know in this game. So I just I wonder if there's you know to your point, Maddie. I just wonder if you know there's a slow build, a slow grow towards you know, peaking at the right time, having some diversity in their blocking schemes. This was like, this was really, I mean, I know it's, you don't take any opponent for granted, but I do think this was a chance to work on some stuff here and there, especially as the game kind of was trending in the direction that you were working toward, you know, that it was heading towards. I mean, this team scored on six to seven possessions. I mean, it, I, I, it was, it was, it was such, I don't want to say boring, but in a lot of ways, this was a, just, it was such a methodical, you know, Inevitable performance where they were boring in a lot of ways, but they were just efficient and third downs. I, I think BJ brought the point up. It was nine to 10 on third downs. <laughs> they were they were they were crushing them. And, you know, they the, the Eagles didn't take anything away they didn't take anything away. Matt Craig, I'm sorry for jumping back
2: in. If you got anything else you want to say about the offensive line and Walsh or whatever. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. I love offensive line play. Come on now. I got to get my takes in here. I do think we'll see more gap stuff when we start seeing a little bit more tight front. Uh Clyde has kind of alluded to that a little bit at, you know, in the preseason when somebody asked him about gap versus zone and all that. And he's like, Oh, it's going to depend on what the defense shows us. So I, I I think we may see more of that when we get a little deeper in the year, but yeah, I'm, I'm with Kent. Like, even if I think if they were seeing a lot of tight front, I think they'd still maybe not run gap as much. I think they're waiting to unleash it on a team. I do want to highlight one of the things that Kent said set up front about this being fool's gold and not thinking that this is fool's gold. Whereas last year with the Buffalo bills rushing for 245 yards, I think we all thought, Oh, Maybe we got to run game again. This is the second most yards in consecutive games un- for Andy Reid's Chiefs. Huh. The last time that they were able to rush for more than the 384 yards that the Chiefs rush for in consecutive games was back in 2016. They rushed for 395. I know a lot of you are scrambling right now. That's Spencer Ware. And Charkandrick West <laughs> in that backfield. But Tyree Kill popped a 68-yard run in one of those games and a 70-yard run in the other game. So those, those numbers are a little bit more inflated. You you still got some jet motions, you still got some stuff with some of these guys, you know, McColl Hardman's getting touches in that same sort of way, but it wasn't popping like that. This was consistent, they were getting movement up front. They were dominating two great defensive tackles. Like These guys have been playing top shelf so far this season, and they got bossed around by a couple of rookies and an all-pro left guard. So there's a lot to hang your hat on here. There's a lot to really love here. Orlando Brown and Lucas Niang look good in the run game as well. If you've got the ability to get up as the Chiefs and try and protect a game, This game and the game before this should make you believe that they can run at will when needed to. I'm I'm excited to see it going forward. If the chiefs can build some leads, we'll get into that a little bit later.
3: (laughs) Well, one more quick thing. Like if you want to anticipate this, keep happening this, I think it's realistic to expect because you've seen this year more than ever. Teams are going to continue to play two deep safeties, at least pre-snap versus the chiefs. I know if you go back to Mahomes first year starting, the Steelers did that, and he lit them up throwing post routes. He lit them up th- splitting the safeties, and all of a sudden it became you can't play, you know, middle field open versus the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. They'll beat you running four verticals, and it was only play cover three like the Chargers were at the time, like the Seahawks-style cover three was the only way you could do it. I think that's kind of flipped now. So now you're getting another safety's getting back out of the box when you play the Chiefs. Teams are not going to play with just three deep defenders. They're always going to have four back there that's going to mean a lighter box or a safety inserting late the way this offensive line is playing. They're going to get the number advantage. And when you get Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Joe Tooney moving up to the second level or catching a safety, it's over. So like if you, I don't think this is last year where it just seemed like the perfect storm. This is back-to-back weeks where the offensive line and the running backs are making this happen. It's just not, like I said, just not everything aligning like maybe last year was.
1: Matt, I think there's some truth to that, too, because you see how much the Chiefs are giving the ball in a lot of their run pass options. They like the numbers. They like the leverage, uh, you know, in the box or kind of that fringe out of the box. They're kind of reading out. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth there for sure. Um, And, you know, we talked a lot about the offensive line, but I think we got to give some props here to Clyde Edwards-Alaire the last two weeks. You know, and it's a shame that he fumbled last week because, man, I think you looked at these last two weeks, the response after you know, kind of fumbling that ball late in the game against the Ravens. His response these last two weeks has been exceptional. Even with the fumble, these are two of the better games of Clyde Edwards' a, a, a career here at, uh, at Kansas City.
3: Absolutely. And I think I, us as a whole, were kind of a little not down on him, but a little hesitant because he didn't look great this preseason running behind this new offensive line. And obviously they were getting used to it. But even in week one, you know, highlighted some plays where he seemed to be taking wrong gaps. He seemed to be running into contact when he didn't need to. He was missing some cuts. He was being a little impatient. These last two weeks, that's flipped. He's done a great job settling in behind these massive offensive linemen, letting them create movement and then dictate where the hole's going to be. And then he's making, it's not just following the blocks. He's making really nice cuts off them. There was a play last week or uh, last week, and then he did it again this week, where he made one jump cut to the outside. Somebody came to fill over the top of a blocker, and he was able to immediately jump cut back to the inside, get himself a good extra five, six yards, just because of how quick he's able to change his gap. So he is running a lot better. He's getting much more comfortable behind these guys. They're starting to make it work. Even on outside zone, which I don't think is his best run. It's what the Chiefs run Clyde the most on, but they run him over and over. He's looking better though. He's getting his foot in the ground. He's starting to get vertical, but he's not shooting through a gap. He's letting these big mauling linemen go maul somebody and then he's taking what's available afterwards.
2: Yeah. And I said before this game, and when we were doing the game preview for this, I, I thought that the Chiefs might try and stretch it a little bit more because I just wasn't sure if they trusted, you know, these rookies against these two excellent defensive tackles. And then what do they do? They line up, they run a lot of inside zone, they run a lot of duo, and they pave the way. And Clyde does an excellent job reading those blocks, playing off of them, making the offensive line right. It. It was just really nice to see because we know that he's going to get light boxes. He just has to. I mean, we welcome teams stacking the box against the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) That's that's what you want if you're a Chiefs fan. So we know that he's going to get light boxes. He's got to maximize them. So seeing him hit these holes, seeing him be a little more decisive the past couple weeks, and seeing him rebound from a rough start to the year. I mean, he could have dug himself a hole in here. It's good to see him rebound. I want to see it again this week. I want to see it continue throughout the year. This is the player that I think all of us thought that we were getting here. So I, I just think, I, I I think there's a lot to hang your hat on. I think there's a lot of optimism that we should have for Clyde here.
1: I think we took for granted a little bit, how long it was going to take for the, offensive line and the running back to gel and i think it's because we saw a lot of really positive indicators early between both of them but there's a difference between going out and running your stuff and and game planning and and you know playing against elite talent because the chiefs we we saw a lot a lot of a lot of positive signs for the offensive line that first or during the preseason but they weren't playing dudes and they've gotten a chance to play some dudes. They, they've kind of, you know, they've taken their lumps. They've learned some things as this season has gone on. Not to say they've been bad. It's just I think offensive line and running back kind of had to gel, and they finally did a little bit there. And I think you're starting to see that a little bit more. So um, that's something I think you got to be really excited about because that was a good test for that interior offensive line. And I think you know if teams are going to play like that, the Chiefs proved that they could punish them.
2: You know what's a good positive sign as well seeing our good friends in Macadoodle, seeing that sign as this you're pulling sign? <laughs> up that sign right there kent yes uh if you are a franchisee you need to get one of these to kansas city you need to get one of these wherever you are because it is the best liquor store that you could possibly put there why is it the best their customer service is great they're going to help you with Absolutely everything. They're going to give you exactly what you need, give you recommendations you love, give you directions as to things that you are going to come back and buy again, and they'll help you carry your booze out to your car. They got great selection. They got great prices. If you're a franchisee, you got to get one up there. You'll be making money hand over fist. Get a hold of Roger. Info at Macadoodles.com. Get one of these up here. Put a positive sign out there—a macadoodle sign in Kansas City. That's the last positive sign we're going to
1: have today because it's time to talk about the defense.
3: <laughs> oh boy!
1: Look at that transition, Maddie. <laughs> let's. Where do we go? Where do we start with this defense? Right, or should I, should I? Should we let Craig start? Should we just let Craig go? Uh, Craig's got a lot
3: more than I do. So hold on. Let me get mine in here real quick because <laughs> I just got one major major takeaway from this Chiefs yeah. defense. They need to figure out a way to get Charvarius Ward, DeAndre Baker, and LeJarius Sneed is the only three cornerbacks that touch the field. Uh, Rashad Fenton can play too, but those are the only three cornerbacks they need to get on the field. Uh, I, I like trading for Mike Hughes. I think Mike Hughes has done a good job trying to step in. I'm not 100% sure why the Chiefs have shoved him into the outside cornerback spot. I don't think that's a good spot for him. And I think you're seeing week in and week out now that he's playing, why that's the case he is struggling to handle when he has to carry vertically and snap off routes and come for back to the line of scrimmage. Then when they do decide to target him, his size just doesn't match up against tight ends or X wide receivers who are getting pushed out there on him. I really don't know if the chiefs can keep going all year with Mike Hughes playing significant snaps on the outside. Cause I just, I don't see where he's going to improve enough to, ma- to make an impact out there and force teams to throw the ball at least deep over the middle of the field where presumably your strength on the team still lies.
2: I mean, and you should take a a little bit of a look at the way that Steve Spagnuolo implemented these guys this week. I know we heard pregame that DeAndre Baker was getting some of the base looks and the report was that he was just more comfortable on that side of the defense and it allowed Legere Sneed to play over there and it wasn't a rotational thing any longer. I'm not so sure that's the case. That might just be trying to make you know, everything feel good within that cornerback room because we saw DeAndre Baker play significantly better than we saw Mike Hughes play. And about midway through, back-to-back weeks, yes. And about midway through the game, all of a sudden, the nickel no longer included Mike Hughes. It was (laughs) LeJarius Sneed and DeAndre Baker on the outside with Juan Thornhill brought in, going to a three-safety nickel with Dan Sorensen and Tyron Matthew kicking down to the slot. So I do think that there have been some changes. I think that maybe there's been some escalation and de-escalation on the depth chart for that. So I'm not sure that once Rashad Fenton and once Charvarius Ward come back in, I don't know that DeAndre Baker will be the guy that gets back to that inactive spot. It might actually be Mike Hughes. It's too bad. I thought he looked good in the preseason. I liked the move. I liked the gamble on that first round guy, but... Man, he's having a really, really rough go of things right now.
1: I'm going to be extremely fascinating to see if DeAndre Baker has played himself onto the game day roster because I agree with you both. Um, but we also know, like, I mean, a lot of weird roster decisions have been made this year. Chris Lamont's uh has uh you know he he had a really good first game and there's been some issues there for some reason he's been maintaining a roster spot he's had some key penalties the last few weeks so i mean there's a lot of roster you know roster decisions that are made that not that don't necessarily make sense i will say this we, we've had a lot of i tweeted out like you know a quote why doesn't juan thornhill play and if you didn't read it within the moment it was kind of like a conflict because you saw some people later like a couple hours later like yeah i agree with you look We saw Juan Thornhill trying to make a tackle on Miles Sanders early in the third quarter. He was getting an opportunity. He dropped his head. He had no idea where he was, where the where the running runner was. Horrific ankle tackle. You know, tackling at some base level. And listen, this is coming from one of the biggest Juan Thornhill fans in the entire metro. We have really – it would benefit the KC draft guide if Juan Thornhill was good because we had him, like, in the top 40, top 50 range. And, you know, there's a lot of things to lack about Juan Thornhill. But he. you know how we say earn the right to rush the passer? Earn the right to defend the pass on the back end by doing the little things. And Juan Thornhill's inability on the little things has very obviously showed up. He's not about that life trying to tackle. And Dan Sorensen's at least willing. He's not good, but he's willing. <laughs> and I think that's where you know you, you want the talent of Juan Thornhill to overcome Dan Sorensen. And I think there's some situations where they're trying, they're they're trying to get give, give Juan Thornhill yeah. chances.
2: Yeah. The, what, the one that Kent's talking about is actually in the second quarter because oh. Steve Spagnolo is now giving Juan Thornhill a drive at, at the <laughs> beginning of the second quarter. Now two weeks in a row here. That play was the first play at the derive. Juan Thornhill dove at the ankles, missed the tackle, and was replaced immediately. <laughs>
1: you know, do you know what that do you know what that was? You guys ever seen heavyweights? Yes. Okay. Step on the scale, son.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Get on the scale. <laughs> that was one of the they noped out of that very quickly. <laughs> now I, I will say I thought that that Juan came downhill very well, uh, a little bit later on in the game, and obviously they trusted him a little bit later in the nickel, but you, you see issues like that come up on occasion. We've talked about his tackling before. We talked about his run support before. I, again, he, sh- he's, he should still be playing. Like I, Let's <laughs> be real here. He should still yeah. be playing. Like,
1: I think that's just the issues you're seeing with him, though. Like I think it's representation. Like If you want to know why, some of those business decisions seem to be... I mean, the, the tapes... You are what you put on tape. And he's getting opportunities. He's not making the most of them. And that's an, it's unfortunate because I'm a big Juan Thornhill fan. I believe in him, his ball skills, his instincts. They don't get to play because he can't run. He can't defend the run. And it's really rough and it's really brutal. So I'm sorry, Matt, you can jump in. I just, yeah.
3: I was just going to push back from the, uh, I was going to play devil's advocate real quick here. Yeah, um, let's do this. So, Juan Thornhill is struggling to tackle. He's not getting to play because he's not tackling well, because he's not playing well in run support. So, why is Dan Sorensen playing? I know. Because <laughs> he's not doing those things well either. Like, I, I fully understand that Dan Sorensen in the past has. I have I was the first person, I think, to even say this out there, that Juan Thornhill's run fits from deep are very bad. Dan Sorensen's are very good. That's not the case this year. Dan is equally as bad as Juan Thornhill versus the run right now. He's not any better in coverage. He's not, okay, actually, I don't think Juan Thornhill has been great in coverage this year, so maybe I want to back that up. Neither one of them have been good in coverage. (laughs) You're essentially dealing with two guys playing the exact same right now. Just one plays a lot and one has maybe upside. So why not go with the upside guy? Because it's not like Sorensen's giving you anything that Juan Thornhill's not.
1: Two things. It's not the one Thornel we saw late in his rookie year. First off, so I think we've held on to him. Part of the reason is his his track record. Not for us. I but saw him I think, versus
3: Buffalo in the playoffs last year. That? I well,
1: that game too. But I mean, largely we're hanging on to we're hanging on to some moments from the past. I'm with you. I agree. Dan Sorensen. The reason I would 100 believe this because this is just this seems like the mo of this coaching staff right now. I think that. That Dan Sorensen has more willingness to do it. He's willing to tackle. He's terrible at tackling, but at least he's willing. And I don't see that same willingness from Juan Thornhill. So I don't agree. I would play the player with more talent. However, when you're
2: just when when you're just struggling go to the three the safety nickel. Kick Tyron to the slot. Like, what are we doing now? Like, allow but him see, to have more. But then put, we lose put a, our best pass rusher. How are we getting
3: our best pass rusher after the quarterback if Steve's playing on the outside?
2: Listen, we're gonna. We're, he can he can blitz in the dime. I I mean, if you put Tyron in the box, you at least put another brain in the box that can help yeah. diagnose some stuff. I do think that that is a positive thing because right now. They are really struggling with tempo, with these offenses that are just lining up and going quick and not giving any time for communication. So you're not seeing individual players stepping up and making stops in those scenarios. That's what other teams typically do. I know what, you know, I've seen some of that on Twitter today. The whole, well, how... How come other teams aren't just lining up and running tempo all the time and just killing other defenses? Because you have players stepping up and they make stops and they make offenses pay for giving the ball back so quickly to Patrick Mahomes in this offense, or whatever the offense that they're playing against is. You're not having anybody step up and make a play. Tyron Matthew might step up and make a play. He might ID the concept quickly, get downhill, make a play, get ahead of the sticks. So I'm completely cool with moving him down into the box put him back in the slot even though you know I, I don't know that him in coverage is going to be like a a massive increase over anything it, you know the has been fine but i do think that gives you another dude and that gets this situation where we're talking about is it going to be dan is it going to be Juan? get them both on the field we know the specs is going to play dan get them both on the field then you got <laughs> that talent on the field
1: i mean i've heard worse, i've heard worse ideas and we'll see and if uh, that's I mean, something
3: they can try, that's definitely something they could try. Um, they did. <laughs> that was just, so Craig, Craig, why don't you, I, I know you've been itching to get to this one. So unless we have other defensive stuff, like I, <sighs> I feel like Craig should go ahead and just talk in general, just, okay. We get asked a lot about how come Steve Spagnuolo is being terrible this year. Why isn't Steve Spagnuolo doing anything about this bad defense? Why does his scheme suck? Why is he the worst defensive coordinator ever? So on and so forth. So Craig, like what is he doing right now? What is he trying to do to fix some of these issues or is he just sitting on his hands, letting it happen?
2: Well, he's definitely not sitting on his hands and letting it happen. <laughs> I mean, you, y'all, y'all could see the blitzes coming from everywhere and that, you know, that's the start. I haven't obviously haven't seen the all 22 from this game yet to see some of the coverage stuff, but a lot of the exotic coverage things that we have become familiar with with Spagnolo are still there. Like he's still trying to implement some of those things to fool quarterbacks, but I actually saw a lot of this, uh, you know, a lot of this conversation happening today. So I ran real quick and pulled some quick clips here because when I was going through this, I was looking at all the adjustments he was making. We talked about kicking Honey Badger to the slot and going to this three safety look. That was one of them. We also saw in the red zone in a couple of and long situations, Nick Bolton was removed. Ben Neiman was brought in and Chris Jones was moved to defensive tackle, something that people have been clamoring for Chris Jones ended up playing a third of his snaps at defensive tackle this week by far the highest that he has for the Chiefs this season so they they have intent with getting him inside he's obviously inside in the dime but they never get to the dime they did this week but they didn't you know they haven't so far this season so getting into the red zone where teams are going quick they're putting Ben Neiman who understands the calls a little bit and can help with some of that front adjustment up there and then kick you know, Chris Jones in on the inside, trying to have him make a splash play, trying to have him make an impact. So that's a positive thing that Steve Spagnuolo is trying to do to rectify some of this. He's also going to more of a three, two dime late in the game here. We finally got to see it. Dorian O'Daniel comes on the field as a QB spy after Jalen Hurts gets loose a little bit. He's used that in the past. It was good to see that again, but we also saw some dollar defense with Armani Watts coming on the field and just two defensive linemen, Chris Jones and Turk Wharton, who played a lot of defensive end in the dime, not on the interior, a lot of defensive end. So there was a lot of motion, a lot of things that were different than what we are used to than what Spagnolo's done. So it's not like he's just sitting back, sitting on his hands and saying, well, this is my scheme and we're just going to keep doing this thing over and over again. Now he's, He's trying stuff. The execution isn't there, and he's. It, we'll, we can get into this other part about how he's still to blame for some of this. I'm not trying to absolve him of anything here, but I do hate the narrative that Steve Spagnolo is just sitting there and letting things happen because he is trying just about every trick that he can that he has in his book to make something happen.
3: And it's one of the most frustrating, like, conversations I think to just carry on because. Clearly no defensive coordinators ever just going to let this happen. They're not going to be trying to leave a guy wide open by 10 yards in the flat three out of four plays in a row. (laughs) Like no defensive coordinators drawing up a play for that to happen. There's clearly a either communication breakdown or an execution breakdown on the field. So yeah, you might want to blame the defensive coordinator a little bit if it's a miscommunication. But if he's got on his whiteboard, if there's a player that's supposed to be there, it's not his fault the player didn't get there. He can't go run out there and do it for him. He can't put training wheels on the linebacker or safety that doesn't go on out there. So it's just a frustrating conversation. And then I always want to like push back on this. If you look at this Chiefs defense as a whole right now, the cornerbacks are struggling. When targeted, they're struggling. They can't defend passes. They're having a hard enough time sticking to wide receivers, let alone when they're actually targeted, they're not being able to break up the pass. The linebackers are struggling to fit the run. They're struggling to cover somebody in the flats over the middle of the field. And now the pass rush can't get home to save their life unless somebody's blitzing. And even then, it's still not a very high rate compared to years past. So if you're a defensive coordinator, if you're Steve Spagnuolo, what defense do you call to protect your cornerbacks that can't play one-on-one, to protect your linebackers who can't cover or fit the run very well right now, and to pressure the quarterback? Like, What defense can you call that does all of those things? So he's clearly trying to fix all these issues. Oh yeah,
1: Craig, what you got?
2: I've got one. I'm putting fifteen guys on the field. (laughs)
1: I'm just putting. Doesn't get called. I'm putting fifteen on the field. Best (laughs) off. Best defense is a good offense. Anyways, continue, Matthew.
3: No, it's just this is just this is a mini rant, Swanson. I'm not going to get as you know angry as Kent does here. It's just (laughs) I think it's one of the worst. Like just dives to go down is trying to talk to somebody about what he is or he's not doing right now because you can just watch each individual position not execute you want to poke holes in some of the part his defensive scheme sure absolutely there's gaps in there he throws a lot of coverages out there he's always had a lot of coverage bust as a defensive coordinator no matter where he's been it's just come with big dynamic plays in reverse that make it worth it he's always been a guy that's gonna you know throw a lot of random pressures on first down he's gonna do some weird stuff on third down sometimes it bites you sometimes it doesn't If you're upset about that, have at it. You can't be mad at him for asking a linebacker to cover the flat and them not doing it 13 times, or for a corner not to get posted up by a wide receiver over and over again. There's no way to cover all these gaps over and over again. So it's just think about it when you're asking him to change what he's doing. Think about what Craig's saying here and all these adjustments he made that he had to make against the Philadelphia Eagles just (laughs) to stop them from scoring 50. Think about all the adjustments he had to make for that, and then I say, okay, maybe he is trying a little bit; it's just not working.
1: Well, I'm gonna harp. I'm gonna harp on this again. I I think this tells you a little bit about some of the personnel decisions that he makes because there is horrendous communication. They are struggling to get lined up. They are struggling to trust people to do what they're supposed to do. And I think Steve Spagnuolo just wants somebody to do what he asks them to do. And be capable of doing what he asks them to do, and be willing to do what he asks them to do. He doesn't have eleven of those guys. He doesn't. He doesn't even have enough talent. He's trying to do what he can to mask the coverage level of the, the second level of the defense because they can't cover anybody. And so, like they're doing all these, he's doing all these things. He's trying to figure out, and he's just trying to do it with at least, at least Dan Sorensen is willing to tackle. At least he's going to try to do what I ask him to do. You can only you can only have so many guys not knowing what they're doing on the field, and there's a you know I talk about you know Nick Bolton getting a chance to to fail fast. He's not doing anything fast, but giving him a chance to fail fast because this is opportunities for him. These reps will matter down the road when you know when when you know when 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 the when the games matter more, right? You know, getting these chances to make these mistakes. But you can only have so many of those guys, and so he's got to find some people that he's got to trust. You talked about. You know, I, I I heard some great theorization from you guys today about you know Ben Neiman maybe making some things right gap-wise when they kick Chris along the interior. You know, there's reasons for all of these things. And the reason that Steve Spagnolo sometimes leans on guys like Ben Neiman or Dan Soren might be because he at least trusts that they'll do their jobs. And that is part of the issue here. And that's part, I mean, the lack of communication, just the the lack of assignment soundness the willingness to do little things, the willingness to try and give great efforts. These are all things that matter on the defensive side of the football.
2: But I mean, there's still the, the group of guys that's supposed to be good at this isn't good at it still. Like, <laughs> they're still like, I get it. Like, I, and listen, I was one hey, of those people the, that dance with, I, the devil, you know, man, I know, but like I was there, I was with you for a lot of this. And I mean, <laughs> I would not want to dunk on all these guys, but when, when the entire premise of your defense is play smart, play safe, don't get beat, get ahead of the sticks, and you know, allow your playmakers to make plays like Tyron Matthew, get him into advantageous spots. You can't get to that right now because these smart players aren't in the right spots. They're not. And so even if the logic is put these guys in the right spots and hope that everything you know goes well. That ain't happening right now. So I am, I am now as the guy who has to chart this defense every single week. I am now suggesting put every athlete on the field, let's <laughs> see it fail. No, let's, seriously, let's Don't it no it Daniel win. season. Well, when fine, uh, fine. I know, uh, I know that he. I know what I'm going to get from him out of the run game, but that's fine. Like, give give me the athlete out there. Willie Gay, when he comes back, if he comes back this week, we might actually get to see Willie Gay in the dime because Ben Neiman is in concussion protocol. So get well soon, Ben. But we might get to see that. If he looks even marginally good, I don't want him to ever give it back. Like, I want him, I want Willie Gay to be on the field from now until forever. Put the athletes on the field. Get these guys reps because right now you're not allowing punts to the Philadelphia Eagles and six <laughs> of eight drives end up in the red zone, end up in the red zone. And the well, execution was in the, the red zone was poor out of the Eagles. They should have scored more than they did. So this is not good. It's, thank, is you, not good. Th- thank you, Ben Neiman. Good.
1: Thank you. It's just I not was- good.
2: I was yeah. watching that game, and the Chiefs had a
1: dominant offensive performance. They scored six of the seven possessions that they had the football. The only one was that one turnover. They were nine to 10 on third down, and the entire game, it felt like they had to be perfect to win the game. And it's not super far off. And that's the thing is like, you know, it feels like if you can get the Chiefs' offense off the field like once or twice, you're winning the game. That's not a formula for success. I'm sorry. And but it does feel like that. But I'm sorry. I'm the, I love athletes. I hate that idea, Craig. I hate well, it no. let's let's <laughs> let's talk about this because you know we we don't get to talk
3: about this much. We usually recap a game then go straight into a game preview. So let's take a slight detour here. Craig, outside of just playing athletes, what does this defense have to do to get better? Like what is what is a realistic approach you think that they could do this season? To become the 28th worst defense in the league instead of the Look, 35th.
2: I mean, they got to figure out a way to win on first downs. It seems like when this team has a a run pass read, which is most downs, <laughs> when they have a run pass read, <laughs> which is football. They, got it. Which is football. Which is literally football. It seems like they're struggling, and I say it that way because we see some short yardage situations where the Chiefs have actually played things pretty well gotten some penetration in the run game and then we got to see at the end of this week when it was a pass heavy script and the Chiefs were in their dime defense guess what guys they got pressure on 47 percent of the dropbacks. that's four man rush did the exact same thing 47 percent it wasn't just blitzing so they can do these things that we're talking about they just don't get to that it's first down giving up eight yards of play on first down you are never getting to third down you're never getting to those third and longs you're never getting spagnolo into a rhythm with all of that stuff you're never getting these players you know it's not just bags it's these players as well so whatever it is you've got to find a way to cut your first down yardage in half like at least half this is just obscene Hey, look,
1: Craig. You said that they like to play the short yard. They're playing the short yardage stuff decently. They're just trying to get into the short yard short yardage stuff quicker. I I don't understand the problem. They're
2: trying
3: to play. They play the and longs better.
2: They play and longs better. They're actually decent (laughs) on third down too.
3: But what what do they do to do that? Like, what do what is something they can do to make first downs better? Because we've seen it against the Ravens, they couldn't stop the run. Or the Browns, they couldn't stop the run on first down. We've now seen it versus the Chargers, and we've seen it versus the Eagles. They can't stop the pass either, no matter who it's going to. It's like, what what is the adjustment that they need to, that they could feasibly make to which they do only allow four yards on first down? Because I've been trying to rack my brain on the next step for this defense for a couple weeks now, and I don't know if I have it because I don't know if they have the personnel – to make a drastic change. I mean, you can't ask a coaching staff to completely alter what they do in week four of a season. Like they can add wrinkles, but you're not going to all of a sudden jump ship to a 3-4 right now. You're not all of a sudden going right. to play a Pittsburgh Steelers 3-4 where everyone's two gapping. It's like that's out the window. But like okay. what adjustment can we can possibly see them make that's going to help first downs? Because I know the initial one that everyone's going to go to is put Chris Jones back inside. Let me tell you straight up. I watched him play inside versus the run. That's not helping first downs. Chris Jones inside is not helping first downs right now. I'm not saying it's worse. It's just not helping them.
1: He's not so about what, he's not about that life.
3: So he's what not. is the avenue to helping on first downs if you can't, if there's no new addition coming? Like, what's that big change? Because I have not been able to think.
2: I mean, I'm going to go with one gap. One gap a little more. Have huh. these guys penetrate. Have these That'll guys shoot. Obviously, you know, if – Frank Clark gets back and he looks respectable and he is healthy and able to be there, he can help set the edge a little bit. And we've seen Mike Dana be able to play smart and set the edge as well. If you got those two guys funneling things to some one-gapping fronts, allowing Willie Gay Jr., Nick Bolton, Anthony Hitchens to get downhill into those sorts of things, you're going to see more benefits because these run blitzes that Steve Spagnuolo is running repeatedly aren't as successful as we want them to be because the defensive lines do gap in a little bit. And so the, these guys are trying to get downhill. They're ending up in the same gap as other guys. Just go back to one gap. And like, we know that Spags has done in the past. Like this is not new. Spagnolo can do this. And this defense can do this. Get back to that. Get more penetrative. If you give up a big play, so what you're already doing it. Get on seen. the same page. Yeah. <laughs> Try get and get worse. some negative plays trying to make some negative plays on first.
3: They do seem more reactive up front this year. That's something we've talked about in the DMs quite a bit right now. The defensive line seems to be playing a little bit more reactive. So, yeah, I think that's where you'd start. Craig kind of mentioned it a little bit. I would love to see more three-down linemen on third and long. Give me (laughs) three-down linemen and linebackers just standing over a gap, standing as an overhang, you know, as like a seven tech. Just make things look weird because your guys aren't winning one-on-one. So make it look strange. You watch the end of that Buccaneers-Patriots game. They sent three linebackers on a blitz up the middle, three plays in a row down the stretch at Mac Jones. Just like Everybody knew it was coming, but they just threw a bunch of guys through different gaps because you can't predict it pre-snap which way they're coming from. So just do weird stuff like that on third down. Let's see some more penetration, more aggressive play from the D-line on early downs and see where that gets us.
1: Well, that is going to do it for a live episode of the KC Laboratory. Thank you all so much for spending some time with us today. We will be back later in the week, previewing probably the biggest regular season game of the year, Chiefs-Bills. Yeah, I said it. We'll get you going for that game later this week. Thank you so much for watching today. We'll catch you later.